You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, in the house here on Thursday, November 10th. Happy early Veterans Day to all you veterans out there. I know we got a lot of veterans in the audience, and we salute you for all you guys do and all all you guys have done for the country. Uh, we now live in a society where I believe the we have the lowest percentage of people who actually even know a veteran than any time this century. So uh, definitely, definitely rare breed of people that that are willing to sign up. And certainly, uh, given our broken political system, it's a it's a pretty brave thing to do nowadays. Um, you know, a lot of people on our side are very despondent about the Virginia elections, the the general trend of what's happening. Republicans losing every single state and local race, a lot of these off-year mayoral elections, local races, probably losing the House of Delegates after having a supermajority in Virginia, and then certainly losing the governorship by nine points. You know, here's the thing. All things equal, I just don't give a darn. You know, I don't consider myself a Republican conservatism wasn't on the ballot conservatives really weren't on the ballot heck we had chris christie's acolyte there his deputy running for governor in his shadow but there's two things that bother me it bothers me number one that it's our ideology is being sullied by a party that is actually doing the exact opposite, but under our banner, so we're getting the worst of both worlds and we're getting punished for it. Countries moving to the left because of that. You know, you had Medicaid expansion pass out in Maine. Mark Meadows told me in his district, which is a very Republican district, the most red county, the reddest county of his district, two Republican mayors went down. So this is a broad problem. And the second thing that bothers me is that some of my colleagues aren't taking out the right lesson from this. And they're missing the point that we will never succeed as long as we are a conservative soul trapped in the radioactive body of the Republican Party. Now, I wrote an article, I'll link to in show notes if you haven't seen it by now, breaking some of this down. And I think too many people are focused on the short term. There's a lot of factors that go into state election, and usually everyone's right. They're all true. It's a chemical compound. A lot of different factors go into an election. But too many people are missing the broader picture of what's happening here and what's happening in our society. Basically, we have a pendulum. We have a very polarized country, and we have mass media. And by the way, those two things are related. We have more polarization because... Everything is blown up. It's 24-7 news. Everything's a big deal. Everything divides people into tribalism. So what basically happens is this. One party gets in. Automatically, the opposition party has all the energy. They have the, the energy of being the anti. It's very easy to be an anti in this era. So they're always going to succeed at bringing their people out to the polls. They come roaring back. They get in. 
And then, you know, the other side has all the energy, righteous indignation. They come in, repeat and rinse. Except there's one difference between the two parties. That, that, that would happen in any two-party system where the two parties were symmetrical, where, you know, one party represented the left and effectively promoted their values. One party represented the right and effectively pro- promoted their values. You'd have this equilibrium. But what we have going on is this. When Democrats get into power, they do everything they can to promote their agenda. So when Obama was in power, it elicited a Republican backlash. It converted a lot of independents to Republicans to the right. But on the other hand, Obama delivered the goods for his side. So they got crushed in the midterm elections, but he was able to win re-election because they delivered the goods. So, you know, the conservative base was jazzed to vote anti, but they were jazzed to vote for their man and, and their ideology. Conservatives are now caught in the worst of all worlds, and this is what played out in Virginia. You know, to lose Virginia, look, Virginia has become a blue state between the immigration, between the growth of the federal government. So all the liberals, bureaucrats from around the country have now moved there. You know, when I was a kid, we used to go to the, go to Shenandoah and the Blue Ridge for vacation. And immediately when you got outside of the D.C. Beltway, you go west on I-66, there was nothing there. And now it's just it's all built up and it's you know mainly Democrat. So you can't win. But the fact that he lost by nine points and the fact that they lost, they might lose the House of Delegates, didn't just lose 10 seats, but 18 or so seats. That means there's a lot of non-immigrant white kind of middle income families that are voting against them. And the reason is very simple. Everyone's motivated by the anti. So nothing has changed. We're incurring all the liabilities of the left. All their policies are being actualized through the bureaucracies and the courts. The Republicans in Congress and Trump's own administration officials, left and right, are continuing every one of of their policies. So we're getting nothing for it. But on the other hand, they're in power and we're getting blamed for everything. So the independents are not aren't seeing anything to come over to the right, and they're getting converted over. The left is energized, but then the right wing base is demoralized. So it's this is what's happening. This is my concern. So the Democrats are going to come roaring back. But you know what's going to happen? I'm not worried about the Democrats roaring back. I'm worried about the next step. Let's say Democrats win Congress in 20. 20- 18, and let's say Elizabeth Warren or or uh, Cory Booker or some other one of these dudes wins in 2020, and and you have a repeat of 2008 where Democrats control all of government. You and I both know that e- despite the education problems in this country, the demographics, the changing country, the changing values, the Democrats are way out there on a limb, even way more radical than the 50 percent, you know, 50 yard line in American politics. They are. I mean, who knows what they would do in 2020? They'll have castration change operations straight straight out of the White House. They'll they'll put a mosque in, the, in Congress or something. Who knows what they'll do? It's going to elicit backlash within three months. Everyone's going to want to throw them out. You're going to have Tea Party 2.0 tw- repeat and rinse of 2010. Except here's the problem. All of that energy will go into the Republican Party. 
and all of the charlatans will run on our issues and they'll say the same things, repeat and rinse. I have no interest in doing this for another 30 years of my life. I'm just not going to do this. At some point, we need to recognize what's happening here. It's not just that the Republicans are a false opposition, that you know they get in and they don't do what, we, what they say they're going to do. It's that they champion, exalt, and validate every premise of the left on major issues. How is it that you have a scenario where when the Democrats were out of power, when, when, I'm sorry, when they were in power, Obamacare was unpopular two to one. The Iran deal was unpopular two to one. The border wall always pulled 70% you know, supportive of it. And now suddenly within a couple months, that flips. It's because Republicans got into power. So again, there's always going to be a backlash against those in power naturally. But rather than showing the American people what we stand for, the perception is they're standing for what we stand for, but they spend six months promoting Obamacare, not just not repealing it, but saying Obamacare is great. Obamacare is great. They stop litigating the case against it because they don't believe in it. And then now they have this tax plan that we spoke about last time where they're downright raising taxes on people and, and t- doing class warfare. And in the meantime, there's a bunch of things going on that I I wanted to get to some of them where you have administration nominees that are that are literally cut from Jeb Bush world. They're cut from the very world of of the left, but we're paying the price for it. Our ideology is paying the price for it. To quote, to, to paraphrase General Patton. When are we going to die for our own country, our own ideology? Why do we always have to die for the other SOB's ideology? What conservatives are to the Republican Party is kind of like what our military has been doing the last 15 years with the Islamic urban renewal projects. Our, Our soldiers are dying on the sword of promoting Iranian hegemony now, literally. I mean, at least die for our own cause, promoting our own thing. I mean... You know, for example, sending our military into Mexico and rooting out the drug cartel so we have a safe border. No, we won't do that. So to, to follow that analogy, what we're doing politically as conservatives is we're getting smeared with all the liabilities of the Republicans, all the liabilities of Trump's persona, but we're getting none of the benefits for it because, in fact, they're actually promoting the policies that the left really wants, but they can't perceive that. So it jazzes up their base, it excites their base, like, like, a, like a hornet's nest, but we're not even doing anything with it, we're doing the opposite, we're actually helping prove their point. Here's the problem. Trump, as you know, Trump didn't create this problem, the problem pre-existed, the Republican Party was an Orwellian party before he came along. There's some good to Trump, there's some bad to Trump. There's a certain modicum of common sense that he spoke to, which is why he won Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and and Ohio, and he won the election. But then because of his horrible personnel picks, his lack of an ideological compass, his lack of attention to details on what the GOP is actually doing with health care and taxes, and then in conjunction with the rest of the broken Republican Party, we're getting all of the liabilities of Trump. So he's serving as a lightning rod to gin up Democrat turnout and convert independents against him. 
but we're not getting any of the policy benefits that people could see a change in the direction of the country that could jazz up the GOP base and convert independence to, to the conservative base. So again, in the, sh- in the long run, this has nothing to do with Trump. They're going to say this is backlash to Trump. In the long run, it's because it's a broken Republican Party, but given that he's the head of it and he has his own problems, he's going to serve as that lightning rod. That's the take on the Virginia outcome that you know their conservative intelligentsia is not going to write about. And look, here's the problem. Just this week, Trump is nominating Kirsten Nielsen to head DHS. And by the way, this is all coming from his chief of staff, John Kelly. Kelly and Mattis are controlling this administration. They're bringing in all their personnel. And as I've said many times, much, much to the chagrin of many people, our, the, the military elite establishment that are running our military now, far from the perception of them being warriors, and I'm not saying some of them didn't serve our country honorably. I'm just saying the alt-left cultural Marxism has permeated. The, some of the military leaders are bigger leftists than than Hollywood. I mean, I, I don't want to digress too much here, but it, as I'm talking on on Slack, some of my colleagues um at work are uh, messaging me here in our some some people in our our Greenville office that just follow the monitor different stories in the news for me. They're saying that th- there was this whole case of graffiti in um at the Air Force Academy that had racist, uh, you know, just racist comments. And it turned out it was a hoaxer. It was it was a black guy that was just doing the hoax. I mean, you've had this throughout the country, different groups doing it. It's really the group themselves, whatever. I mean, there's crazy people of all sorts out there. But the point is, so the, the a general there put out a statement basically saying, well, this wasn't a hoax, but the sentiment is still true and it's a problem. I mean, really? You throw your own people under the bus. I mean, this is why so many flag officers are leaving. But anyway, so these are these clowns are bringing in their personnel. So Kelly. So first of all, Elaine Duke is the acting um, secretary of, of DHS. She is she was his chief of staff. She is clueless on immigration. And remember, during last episode, I told you this was Monday. I said. I might have good news to share with you on immigration. Guess what? I didn't have good news. They did the opposite. So we added on good word that they were going to end TPS, Temporary Protected Status. Um, Real briefly, it's one of the many amnesty programs that are fleecing America, where basically America's become a dumping ground you don't hear about. Um, You know, our statutes are written pretty well, but not perfect. But our immigration system is not the problem. It's the way it's been implemented. That, you know, it's mainly to protect America, but we have a couple of very targeted humanitarian programs. But of course, they get used to turn America into dumping ground. One of them is that, hey, we'll give people temporary, you know, stay in America when you have an earthquake, a hurricane in your country, some natural disaster um, until, you know, the the weather conditions and just becomes, you know, livable again. But what's happened is it mixes together with the open borders. So because we have illegal immigration, what happens is you have an earthquake, a hurricane in Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, and all the illegal aliens that are here, they're here anyway, they apply for it. And then they keep continuing in every six months. 
and it turns into 20, 30 years. It happens forever. And it's basically any crappy country that's just miserable to live in anyway, not because of the natural disaster, they take advantage of it. And that's how America becomes a dumping ground for every third world country. And it also creates a brain drain and everything. I mean, you're not helping these countries by draining them out. So basically, we have about 400,000 of these. It's a pretty big number between Nicaragua, um, Honduras, El Salvador, and Haiti. Those are the two big four that are coming up on renewal. So basically, every six months they get renewed, but it's automatically renewed unless the administration gets rid of it. So I wrote an article about it, we'll link to in show notes, where you had uh, Honduras and Nicaragua were up for expiration on November 7th. So they had to decide that day on Monday because you need 60 days notice. It's really January 6th, but you need 60 days notice just because of the administrative procedural rules so you know it was late throughout the day we we heard they were going to get rid of it and they announced they're going to terminate nicaragua but not honduras now both these countries do you know why they have tps because in october 1998 you had hurricane mitch and it devastated those areas and we had it but what happened was it was mainly illegal aliens from honduras so 20 years later we're still doing this it's insane. Even Rex Tillerson signed off on a letter from the State Department certifying that there's no need for it anymore. So DHS had to clear to get rid of it. And they keep Honduras, but get you know they terminate it for Nicaragua. Now, it's all political because Honduras had about 50,000. Nicaragua was about 2,500. And I would venture to say Nicaragua is probably more the genuine TPS, you know, people that just were displaced. Now, there's no reason they should still be here. But... Honduras, wink and nod, you know what Honduras is. That's where most of the illegal aliens are from. We don't have that many illegals from Nicaragua. So it's all about the illegal alien lobby. And it's all also a numbers game. So they wanted to kind of show they're fulfilling the Trump promise. But yeah, so I'll you know end the amnesty for the 2,000, but keep it for the 50,000. This portends very badly in the coming weeks. We have Haiti and El Salvador. Those are the biggies. From Haiti, if you remember the earthquake, what was it, 2011, 2010? Um, we have 60,000 or so from there, and then 325,000 from El Salvador. This tells me they're not going to get rid of it. So this was this was another guy, um, one of the undersecretaries, I'm literally having a brain freeze here, I'm forgetting his name, another Kelly guy that I hear was responsible for this. So now, getting back, I know it was a long detour, Kirsten Nielsen a complete lobbyist. All the lobbying shops are helping her with her nomination. Everyone we hate is supporting her. She was a Jeb Bush donor, was was on the board of this Open Borders Forum, and she gets up there at the confirmation hearings. It was a love fest. The Republicans, Democrats, they all loved her. She said, "We don't need a we don't need a border wall. Um, we owe it to have a permanent solution for DACA." I mean, this is Trump's nominee. This is the alt-left. These are the people turning out in Virginia to vote for North and to vote for the Democrats. Ironically, because they hate Trump because he's you know doing what they think we want. And his DHS nominee subscribes to their thing. What about owing it to Americans to finally stop the fleecing of American sovereignty and security and our welfare, our education, our schools, our hospitals, our communities? No, we owe it to illegal aliens. 
Even Democrats never talked like that. Bill Clinton never talked like that in the 90s. And now you have John, Donald Trump's own DHS secretary. This is the problem. We're getting all the liabilities of Trump and none of the benefits. But I continue. It gets worse. It gets much worse. So again, continuing on this theme of Mattis and Kelly basically uh, you know, supporting, stocking the administration and Trump really has you know, put a lot of faith in, the, in those two individuals. They're bringing on all their leftists, and this is a very, very serious problem. So there's a DOD nominee. You know, it's, it's taken forever to get these undersecretaries, you know, approved. Um, but now, now I'm seeing par- partially why. I mean, I know when Bannon was there, so he was blocking a lot of these guys because Mattis wants liberals. So this guy, Dr. Dean Winslow, is the nominee for Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs. This is basically the part of the Pentagon where healthcare intersects with the with the military. So you, you know what I'm getting at. Abortion, transgenderism, this all comes in. He said in his written testimony before the Senate Armed Services Committee that he supports therapeutic abortions in the military. Therapeutic abortion services should be provided by the military and appropriately staffed facilities. That, that's, that's what he said. Um, <laughs> so first of all, it's against the law because the military is not supposed to fund abortions. But basically, we, and this guy was a military doctor and, and you know he went to school, I think, with, with Mattis. So that's how he schlepped him into this. So, so we have military leaders and now being appointed to civilian posts who believe the military is a place to integrate women into all areas of combat, then get the women pregnant, and then have abortions on those babies. <laughs> this, this is what we're dying for. This is what we're getting defeated for at the ballot box. I'm not saying voters know about this. I'm saying we're, we're, we're dying in order to get into power and get blamed for being in power in order to implement this stuff. And then also, also this guy, another case, he, he was asked about, you know, the whole business with mental health and the military and people being dishonorably discharged because of the whole, the shooting with this Kelly guy and how to coordinate with the military with the medical records so we know, you know, who to mark and flag. And he said, I don't think any civil, I think it's, it's a lunacy for any civilian to have an assault weapon. Again, this is Trump's nominee for undersecretary of health affairs at DOD. I could go on and on. This is all over the place. And then the one good nominee he had, Scott Pruitt at at the EPA, who wanted to grant some relief to the oil refiners and job creators and consumers from this unbelievably disgusting venture socialist ethanol mandate where we use the boot of government to mandate that refiners blend garbage into the fuel supply, raise the cost of food and fuel on, um, on consumers, and then there's this whole RINs racket, RINs credits, where basically they have to purchase credits, the mafia extortion from the EPA and the ethanol lobby, because most of them can't blend. They, they just don't have the capacity. Uh, a, a lot of the, especially the independent refiners, you know, not the big oil cartel, but, you know, the more independent small refiners don't have the ability to do it. And also, even if you did, even the bigger ones that have their own independent blending on, on site, they don't have 
there, there's not enough demand for it. Um, there's a number of global factors that have decreased demand for for oil, um, which is why prices have come down. They haven't recovered since the recession to the you know previous demand levels. But then think about this: we have another socialist mandate that intersects with it. So we have cafe standards, which mandate the you know very expensive vehicles that you have to make them paperweight and get you know 35 miles per gallon of of fuel now that in itself is problematic it's raising the cost of of cars it's social engineering it's not good quality um the market doesn't support it it's a it's unconstitutional mandate but listen to this one of the things that's successfully doing indeed by when you mandate it well the cars are getting more by hook or by crook for better for worse they are getting more um fuel economy and they're getting more miles per, more gasoline, uh, fuel fuel per, per mileage. So guess what? That's another big contribution to decreasing the demand. So there is, even if you believe, as our body politic, Republicans and Democrats evidently believe, that there is an unalienable right to not just grow ethanol, but mandate on consumers and, and the market that it be blended into our fuel supply. But even if you believe it, there just isn't the demand to, to do it at the levels they're, they're mandating. So they have to purchase these credits. So now you have a submarket of speculators and traders on RINs credits. And by the way, the RINs credits were never passed out of law. Their ethanol mandate was, but this notion of using RINs credits to force compliance was completely, it was a complete administrative fabrication of the EPA. You got to love America. We're so capitalistic that we find ways to, you know, make make a buck off of socialism. Th- this is one of the area, areas where America is worse than Europe. Europe, they have socialism. In America, we have venture socialism. The worst mix of crony capitalism and socialism that hurts the consumers, distorts markets. And now you have refiners that are going out of business and cutting jobs. The very blue-collar jobs Trump campaigned on. And, and so much so that Trump wants to distort the market to help them and do, you know, interventions, subsidies to help them. But meanwhile, we're doing anti-market regs to hurt them. Can we just not subsidize or not regulate and let the free market work? But he's hurting those jobs. So Scott Pruitt wanted to grant some relief. The ethanol lobby ganged up. By the way, they have no power in the body politics. Steve Dace will tell you this. Their power in Iowa is Wayne. That's how Ted Cruz was able to win running against ethanol. They have less power than people think. But in the halls of the EPW committee, that's the committee with, with jurisdiction, they have they have power. So Joni Ernst and, and Deb Fisher, and by the way, Ben Sass has quietly been involved in this. They they uh bullied Scott Pruitt and said, You better not make any changes. And they secured an agreement because they they held up nominees, you know, EPA nominees based on this. So now, you know, Cruz and Toomey are fighting back. Cruz is actually putting a hold on the Iowa Agriculture Commission, who's uh, nominated for some undersecretary at, at, at the Department of Agriculture. And by the way, Chuck Grassley's son, grandson wants that guy's Iowa job. So he, this is a very brave move on the part of Cruz. Um, but anyway, I, I'm, I'm doing this all, I'm going on all these tangents to, 
you know, also just give you a sense of su- some stuff that's going on in the news that people aren't talking about. But so the Trump appoints a bunch of idiots. The few good guys he appoints, he stops them from doing the right thing. Sides with the ethanol lobby. For what? We're losing elections for what? And again, when I say we, and, and, and here's what happens. There were some good conservatives down ballot in the House of Delegates that lost. Because even, even a conservative that runs on our message or, or an establishment guy like Gillespie that last minute very inauthentically you know, uses one or two of our issues, you can't speak over a tarnished brand. You can't speak over Republicans advocating under our banner what's antithetical to our beliefs. You're never going to work. Some of my friends are saying, well, we need to take over the Republican Party. That is so old, you can't take it over. First of all, you can't take it over. Second of all, even if you wanted to, we might have a good Republican Party, but you're going to lose people in the middle because the Republican Party is already so tainted. We can't get our foot in the door and, and, and discuss our ideas on localism, giving power to states, on free market health care, what that means. It, one of the things that ripped my heart out was if you looked at the exit polling, it showed that healthcare was by far the most important issue. And among those voters that listed it as their most important issue, seven by a margin of 77 to 23, they voted for the Democrat. I was like, oh my gosh, we have such a beautiful narrative. We could hang around the necks of Democrats, that they're in bed with the insurance hospital cartel to cut out consumers, that they don't want price transparency. They want to get government in the cartel in between you and your doctor. We have so many good ideas, but we can't, we have no platform for them. Instead, Republicans validate the Democrat premises, albeit under the perception that they're trying to change it, and we get the worst of both worlds. This is the Republican Party we are fighting for. We are dying on the ideology of the other side, much like we have soldiers being blown up in Iraq and Afghanistan on behalf of Islamist governments who plant IEDs to blow our guys up while we're trying to fight for them. That's exactly what we're doing politically by being a part of this Republican Party. Look, I think we all know what needs to be done. The question is how to achieve it. And I'm going to humbly submit before you, I, I don't know. I don't know how to do it at this point, and this is what I'm struggling with. Um, you know, the best I could do for now is highlight what is going on that people should recognize what we need to fight against, build a philosophy on issues, not just you know broadly philosophical, but very related to what's going on to address the most important issues on, a, on, on an array of fronts so that when we have that movement in place, we have that intellectual firepower. And then, and then try to work with some people to, to get the assets in place to start this new party because it absolutely will take off. Everyone's seeing that now. The question is, how do you launch the satellite into orbit? Um, I, I don't know. I, I pray for guidance, and you know, we all need help with that. And, and look, you know, send me an email, dhurwitz at crtv.com. Um, I cannot promise to answer it just time-wise, but I will promise to read it. And let me know. Let me know your ideas. I'm, I'm I'm looking for ideas. I'm just one person here. We have a very small staff, and we're just going to try to tell the truth. That's the best we can do for now, and and try to get involved when we can. You know, just before this podcast, I got off the phone with Thomas Massey, great guy, great friend, one of the best guys around. 
he's just brilliant. He totally gets it. Gets all this. He said he said my spam emails are I'm I'm, I'm the only emails he actually reads. Um <laughs> it's funny. So he he was telling me this that it's just there's so many good ideas that he was thinking of. He took a trip overseas just to under understanding what to do on North Korea and all the impediments to having a deterrent against them, the stupid things our government has done. But there's just paralysis. There's no party willing to do that. They just don't care. They're in their own world. Just look at the tax plan they're doing. They just they don't they don't see the broader picture. Well, this piece of revenue for this and this other. There's such a crisis of initiative. Anyway, we we got a lot here, a lot of articles on so many issues. We're gonna keep coming with it as the Senate's now coming out with their plan. Make CR your one-stop shop. Happy Veterans Day to y'all. See you next week. God bless y'all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.